Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Chatham Community Church. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to welcome you this morning. For those of you who are fathers, uncles, father figures in people's lives, happy Father's Day. That goes not just for the people here, but for the folks online. Happy Father's Day and welcome. I'm glad you're joining us this morning. Uh, Some of you may not know we are one church in two locations Uh, And so normally I am with the folks down at Pittsburgh that meet at Chatham Mills, but every once in a while we like to switch it up, and so I'm very glad to get to join you all here this morning, and that's going to be especially true as Alex is on sabbatical. I'll be coming up here a little bit more frequently, a little bit more often, so uh, I always enjoy getting to spend time with y'all, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to do a little bit more of that this summer. Have you ever caught yourself or caught someone talking through their day out loud, sort of narrating the day, their day. You know, you're kind of like, well, I'm washing the dishes now, and then I'm going to head over and do some groceries, and, and then I'm going to be able to sit down and finally enjoy a good cup of coffee or this book I'm meaning to get to. Have you ever caught someone doing that? Uh, kids are easy to catch doing that. In fact, I often find them talking to themselves in the third person. You know, uh, Molly's done with the toys now. Molly's going to have a snack. Molly's going to take a nap now. Uh, now, I, I, I want you to imagine it, what it would be like if the voice that was talking about your day to you was not your own. What if there was another voice narrating the events of your day? Well, that's the premise of the movie Stranger Than Fiction. It follows a man who begins hearing a voice narrating his life. And the way the voice goes about narrating its life sounds like it's the text of a novel. Now, that premise is noteworthy in and of itself, but what creates the tension that drives the movie is that the narrator early on states that the person she is is talking about, the main character, she states, will soon die. And so much of the movie is spent with him trying to figure out who this narrator is, trying to find this narrator, to see if he can convince this narrator to change the ending of the novel. Because it seems that whatever this narrator writes and speaks, whatever he hears, ends up happening. Now, I'm not going to spoil the ending for you because I feel like the movie is well worth it. It's entertaining and it explores some really interesting subjects, but... One of the reasons that I feel like the movie connects with people is that even though we have to suspend disbelief, we don't have to suspend it that much to engage with the idea that an author narrating someone's life would would have an impact, would have something happen, because it taps into something that we all know or most of us know that is true. The principle that it taps into is this idea that words have power. Words have power. Words have an impact. Words have the power to build up, to encourage, to stoke good uh, instincts in people. Words have the power to tear down, to hurt, to wound, to break relationships. The scriptures capture this in the creation narrative in Genesis. God speaks the world into existence. It is his words that cause things to happen, the light to come, the the earth to be, the animals to emerge, life to happen. 
As we continue on our, to make our way through our series in the New Testament book of James and explore what it means to have an integrated faith, a faith that permeates every aspect of our lives and gets lived out in ways that are big and small, we're going to spend some time today talking about communication. Talking about communication. Because God has given us this ability to speak to communicate. And just like God's words had power, our communication has power, has potential as well. And if God has given us this ability to steward something that has so much potential for good and for ill, then it's crucial that we figure out how to integrate our faith into that facet of our lives. So if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and look up James chapter 3? We're going to read the first 12 verses of James chapter 3. If you don't happen to have a Bible or don't have access to one, it's going to be on the screen in just a second. And the thing we're going to talk about today, the reason why it's important to integrate our faith into our communication is because what an integrated faith does is it enables us to channel Powerful communication for good. Communication has the potential for ill or for good. And when we integrate our faith, we become enabled to channel all that potential power for good. So once again, we'll be in James chapter 3. And let's start reading it in just a second. Here we go. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is, a, is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine, grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, the imagery and the metaphor in this section is so striking, so striking that it's easy to be drawn in by it immediately and pass over the first two verses talking about teaching and stumbling. But I think it's important to pay attention to those first two verses because they actually set up the, the imagery and the metaphors that come along after. Now, let's set, let's set the stage. We're, when James is writing, we're in the early days of the emerging church, of the communities of people who are following Jesus. Communities of followers of Jesus are forming either connected to or outside established religious structures of that day. And there's this, this, this emerging conversation happening to try to figure out who is the expert. Who knows what's what in how we live out 
this newfound following of Jesus. What does it mean? They're looking to answer a very important question. Who is going to communicate to our community how to apply what we're learning about Jesus, what we're learning about faith? It's an important question to answer as this community is forming, these communities are forming and solidifying. And James establishes a few things to make his case that, we should, that people shouldn't be so quick to rush to claim that mantle, to claim that mantle of expertise. And he says them all in these two verses. The first thing he says, or one of the things he says is, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody is perfect, right? That's a given. He says this when he says, we all stumble in many ways. And he says, he establishes this idea that in his perspective, the hardest area in which to avoid mistakes, the hardest area in which to avoid error, the hardest area in which to avoid sin is in communication. That's why he says that anyone who is never at fault in what they speak is perfect, right? It's possibly hyperbole, but he's establishing that it is very hard. This is one of the final thresholds, the thing to always keep your eye on. And then he says this thing, that that those who will teach will be judged more strictly. Here's what's behind that. It's true that every mistake is costly. Every error is is costly. Every sin is costly. Every one of those has an impact. But not every sin, mistake, or error is equal in its cost to people around us. It's not equal. And what he's saying is that if you sin or err or make mistakes in your teaching, it doesn't just affect you. It impacts all the people that you teach. It impacts all the people you communicate with. The the effects are wider. They are broader. You are passing on those mistakes to the people who are listening to you, the people who are trusting you. And it's a principle that is true to this very day, that as our influence widens or as it deepens, mistakes, sin, error becomes more costly or it becomes costly to a different degree because they impact a greater number of people, or they impact people in deeper ways. And friends, everyone here, everyone watching at home, everyone around the world has a sphere of influence, small or large. Everyone has a sphere of influence, and everyone has some degree of influence in their relationships. That influence could be deep, that influence could be wide, that influence could be both, and it could be different in different settings. So before we continue, I want you to take a moment and assess your spheres of influence. Take stock of the relationships of the places where you have influence, where your actions and your communications carry weight, whether light or heavy. Every place. Let me give you some some key words that might help you find. If you're a boss, you have a sphere, sphere of influence. If you're a coach, you have a sphere of influence. If you're a spouse, you have a sphere of influence. If you're a parent, you have a sphere of influence. If you're a sibling, you have a sphere of influence. Now, younger siblings may feel like they have a smaller sphere of influence, but you still have a sphere of influence. If you're a teacher, you have a sphere of influence. If you're a friend, you have a sphere of influence. Friends, wherever there is trust extended to you, there is the capacity to influence. We all have the capacity to influence. 
And if it's true that, that, that we all make mistakes, that we all err, that we all sin, and if it's true that every mistake and error is costly, and if it's true that communication is one of the hardest areas to avoid these things, then we find ourselves in a perfect storm in our present age. A perfect storm that calls most urgently for us to integrate our faith into our communication, both in what we communicate out and in what we receive. Here's why I think we're in a season of a perfect storm. We're in a season of a perfect storm because we are in a season where people are being given platform without requiring maturity. People have access to platform without requiring maturity. Our ability to access the masses is unprecedented. There has never been a time in history where people have had access to people the way we do now. We can share something with thousands upon thousands, and for some of us, with millions of people at the click of a button. And there are no or very few mechanisms to vet the maturity of what gets shared, the wisdom of what gets shared, the truth of what gets shared, of what gets communicated. And that puts us in a spot where we have many opportunities to influence widely. To influence widely, possibly before we're ready to do so. But we have the opportunity. Mistakes are very costly when we can make them in a wide sphere of influence. They are very costly. And we are in a time in history where we are more prone to making them because we have more opportunities to make them. When I became a follower of Jesus, it became clear to the people around me that I had some gifts of leadership. And I was fortunate enough to be in an organization that had clear benchmarks before people were given large spheres of influence, right? Before you preached in the group, you had to show that you could craft a worship service. Before you crafted a worship service for the largest group, you had to show that you could lead a Bible study for a smaller group. Before you led a Bible study for a smaller group, you had to show that you could lead a prayer meeting for an even smaller group. And before you led a prayer meeting for a smaller group, you had to go through a months-long process where someone met with you to make sure you had the foundations of faith and of understanding what it meant to live faith out. And I was given, I was entrusted with leadership at a small level very early on. And I remember the first time I had the opportunity to speak to a group of people that I was influencing with my leadership. There was eight people. We were gathered together at nighttime. We were having, uh, for those of you who are familiar with, with church or religious culture, we were holding a prayer vigil. So we were praying over or through the night. We weren't going to pray the whole night. We are going to make it till midnight because we were college students and we had to study. But we were going to make it to midnight. And this group of faithful people came and gathered to pray with me. And I had a chance to share my thoughts on prayer. Now, I was immature at that time. And what I was filled with was a sense of dissatisfaction that not enough people prayed enough of the time. That we weren't committed enough to pray. That we didn't give enough time to God. And so I communicated that with a sense of dissatisfaction, a sense of judgment, a sense of condemnation to the people who were gathered with me. Really, I was talking to the people who weren't there. But I was pouring this all out on the people, on the eight people who were there. It was incredibly costly. I didn't have the maturity to process my anger or my upsetness or my dissatisfaction in healthy ways. It was incredibly costly. 
Of those eight people, a few of them were there just to support me and check out to see what kind of leader I was going to be. They never trusted me with influence for the rest of my time in the college ministry. That's how costly it was. A few of them got turned off from the ministry for a while. After that, one of my mentors came and sat with me and walked me through what I could have done differently and how I needed to slow down if I was going to continue to communicate and let my maturity catch up to my sphere of influence. I'm so grateful I wasn't at that spot at this day and age because I can't imagine the harm I would have caused if I would have posted that on Facebook or recorded that on YouTube or shared that widely. I'm so glad that I wasn't given large platform without maturity. And I'm grateful for the grace that even when I was given a platform and showed myself immature, there was a process by which there was healing and restoration. But right now, these mistakes are costly, folks. We see them all the time. People lose their jobs. People lose their influence. People lose relationships because we've been given platform without requiring maturity. There's also been a turn. It's part of this perfect storm in what we consume and how we consume communication. Now, some of that turn has to do with the abundance of, 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 a, of communication that's available to us, the abundance of sources that are there, the abundance of people with wide influence and large platforms. And some of it has to do with the increasing polarization of our society and the siloing of groups into echo chambers. But more and more, what we see is that we are giving ear to that which affirms that we are right as we are. More and more, we pay more attention and spend more time listening to voices that tell us that we are already okay as we are, that we're in the right, that we know what's what. And here's the alternative. We could be, we could be seeking voices that model and call us to become what we were made to be. But more and more, we see people who are giving ear to that which affirms that they are already right, that we are already right. Friends, if the communication we're ingesting, if the communication we're taking in is stuff we are already in full agreement with, if nothing challenges us, if nothing makes us think, if nothing invites us to change ever, then here's what we're saying. What we're saying is that we've already arrived, that we have no room to grow that there is nothing we could learn, that there's nothing left to accomplish. That sounds arrogant, friends. That sounds foolish. That sounds arrogant and foolish. None of us have arrived. None of us have no room to grow. None of us have already figured everything out. None of us are already completely right in everything we believe and everything we think. So take a moment and assess right now what you're consuming in communication. Take stock of who you listen to, who you read, who you watch, what they are saying, what they are saying. If all you do is find yourself nodding your head in agreement, if nothing makes you turn your head, if nothing makes you feel conviction, if nothing makes you think, oh, I need to study that more. This is an interesting point. Might it be time to stop some of that and populate it with some different perspectives, some different views? Because friends, here's the truth. Following Jesus involves change. 
Following Jesus is a call to change. There's this word we have in Christian circles called discipleship. And discipleship is a process by which we are transformed. All our lives as followers of Jesus, we, sh- we, we will be experiencing moments where we realize, oh, that doesn't align with where I am right now. Maybe I need to think about that more. Maybe I need to make a change. Maybe I need to make a shift. Maybe I need to learn. Maybe I need to grow. The fruitful Christian life is one that looks back over the years and is able to say, I am not the woman. I am not the man that I used to be. And it's not just that, you know, 25 years ago I made a change and after that, you know, everything's been fine. Is that I am not the person I was last month. I am wiser, more loving, more truthful, more honest, more righteous. Following Jesus involves transformation. And an integrated faith in our communication enables us to shape what goes out in this perfect storm. And it also enables us to filter what comes in. It enables us to filter what comes in. And it does that by calling us over and over and over again to be more like Jesus. To reflect the values of the family of God. To reject the kind of communication that numbs us into complacency. Or massages us into complacency. Or the kind of communication that stokes our fear so that all we do is circle the wagons and think that anyone who says something different must be our enemy and must be attacking us. An integrated faith gives us the wisdom and discernment to resist the allure of accessing the masses before our maturity has caught up. Because it's alluring. It is alluring to want to communicate with the masses. It is alluring to want to say stuff that people pat us on the back and say, yes, that's exactly what I think, that's exactly what I believe. But if our maturity hasn't caught up, we will eventually make costly mistakes. We will eventually harm relationships. We will eventually break trust. And James is making this case about communication because he knows that every communication has outsized potential and can have immediate impact. This is why it's crucial. No matter how small communication seems, no matter how insignificant it may seem, every moment of communication has outsized potential, and it can have immediate impact. And you see that in the imagery that he uses. Think about what happens in the course of a ship that is moving when someone moves the rudder slightly. Think about what happens What a bit does in a horse's mouth when it's galloping and it feels a tug. Think about what happens when a small spark hits kindling. Immediately, stuff happens. There is change. These are small things, but they are small things with big impact. And that big impact happens exactly at the moment in which they are engaged. Once these things are let loose, in the case of the spark, once they are engaged in the case of the rudder or the bit, it is hard and almost impossible to go back to where they were before they were engaged. Because there's already some forward progress. There's already some stuff happening. But when stewarded well, when a horse bit is stewarded well, when a rudder is stewarded well, when a spark is stewarded well, they can accomplish great things. They can get us to the right destinations. They can achieve a good purpose. James is likening this to the tongue, to our communication. 
Because even though it seems small, even though it can seem insignificant, even though it can seem minor, there's always the potential for big impact. A good job, a nicely done, an I appreciate you has made my day, has made even my week more times than what I can count, sometimes without the person who is saying that, realizing that they had that impact in my life. Communication stewarded well can have a big impact on our souls, on our lives, and on the lives of others. It's hard for me on Father's Day to not feel both sadness and joy. Sadness because my relationship with my father was a broken one. There were many things that he needed to say that didn't say, and many things he, should, he shouldn't have said that he said to me. There were plenty of wounds. There were plenty of ways where that could have sent me off the rails. But there was a man in my life who made sure I didn't, who said all the things that my father didn't or couldn't or wouldn't. That was my grandfather. Because of my grandfather's presence in my life, I didn't go off the rails many times. Because he said, I love you. Because he said, I appreciate you. Because he said, I'm proud of you. Because he sat me down and shared wisdom. Because when I made mistakes, he told me stories about his life and showed me how to walk a path to be a man of integrity, a man of commitment, a man of truth. I am a different man than I would have been had the only voice or lack of voice been that of my father's. His words had an impact on my life. They made sure that the course of my life stayed down the right path instead of veering towards catastrophe. Good words can have great impact. But the flip side is also true. Think about how much has been lost. How much has been broken because of an email sent in anger. A word spoken in frustration. A social media post that wasn't thought through or wasn't vetted. Social media post that shared something that wasn't true. What cost have we paid because of the stuff we've internalized? Whether about us or about the world around us, the communication we've received. Friends, an integrated faith helps us channel the potential of communication towards flourishing instead of catastrophe. Because every communication has the potential for both. But when we integrate our faith, we guide it towards flourishing instead of catastrophe. And James uses really dire language. He paints a dire picture about communication in part because he wants us to know, I think he wants us to grasp that communication is lifelong work. Working on our communication, integrating our faith into our communication is lifelong work and he doesn't want us to become complacent. Because whenever we become complacent, we run the risk of that rudder shifting or that spark getting out of hand or that bit pulling in the wrong direction. So take a moment. Assess your communication. Assess how you, what you take in, what you put out in terms of communication. What is the next step for you? in integrating your faith in your, into your communication? Where is their love lacking? Where is their patience lacking? Where is their joy lacking? Where, uh, where is truth becoming fuzzy for you? Assess. Doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. Everyone has a part to play in the lifelong work of integrating our faith into our communication. When I was a kid, I was a believer in the two stomachs theory. Has anyone ever heard of the two stomachs theory? It's a scientific theory, I promise you. Here's what it says. It's a theory that says that we have two stomachs. 
We have a stomach for regular food, and we have a stomach for dessert. (laughs) Some of you are laughing because you didn't know you believed that theory until today. I think most kids wish it were true, right? I think most of us wish it were true, that we could eat as much of dinner as we wanted and then have that big bowl of ice cream as well. And we might even add the theory of calories don't count on weekends to that if we wanted to, just to make it even more convenient for us, right? But we know. We know that's not true. We know all the food goes to the same place, and we know no matter when we eat it, all food has some cost to it associated James closes this section with two images. He closes it with one of a tree and with one of a spring. I want to focus on that one. Because part of what he's saying is that this spring is either salt water or fresh water. The spring can't be both. The theory of two sources does not apply. There aren't two sources of water for that spring. See, people in his time, it was clear, were communicating one way about God and to God, and then they were communicating one way about people and to people. And they were trying to make the case that that was okay. And he's saying, you can't pretend that all of that communication isn't coming from the same place. It's all coming from the same place. Friends, all our communication comes from the same place. All of it. It's rooted, you could say, in our character, in our soul, in our mind, in our heart, whatever, in our maturity. Our communication with, uh, with God and about God comes from the same place as our communication to people and about people. And here's where the stakes get high. Our communication about God, our communication to God, will only be as genuine, loving, and good is our communication to and about people. I know many of us wish it would be the other way around, but it's not. It's not. Our praises and our prayers to God will be hollow if our communication with and about people is toxic. Our praises and prayers to God will be hollow if our communication to and about people are toxic. Now, we are works in progress. We are works in progress And there is grace and mercy. Please don't hear me say that God won't hear your prayers if you're not perfect in your communication to and about others. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not even, I think, what James is communicating. But let's not think that we can ignore the ways that our communication to others is harmful without it affecting our connection to God. It affects it. There is an impact. All communication has impact. It has potential. It has power. So what does communication with integrated faith look like? Well, I'm going to pick some words from Galatians 5 and Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to call these the marks of integrated faith in communication. Communication that comes from an integrated faith is love, has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, truth, nobility, rightness, purity, loveliness, admirability, excellence, praiseworthiness. That's what integrated faith communication looks like. So what do we do with that? What do we do today as we seek to integrate our faith into our communication? Well, I'm going to invite you to do a communication audit. I'm going to invite you to do a communication audit. And for those of you online, I'm going to take this slide off in just a second, but it'll be back on at the end of the service, so don't worry about that. I'm going to invite you to do a communication audit using 
Galatians 5, and Philippians 4. I'm going to invite you first to assess the communication you receive using that filter. And you can look up the words. They're in Galatians 5 and Philippians 4. How much of it is loving? How much of it is true? How much of it is pure? How much of it is praiseworthy? Whatever isn't, cut out. But also assess what you communicate. And then ask yourself two questions. What do you need to pause? Whether what you take in or what you communicate out. And then ask yourself the harder question. Where are the places where you need to pursue maturity? What's the next step? It'll be different for each of us, but once you find it, go for it. Go for it. Our world needs people who have integrated their faith into their communication because they need to see a different kind of living. They need to see a different kind of talking. They need to see a different kind of posting on social media. They need to see a different kind of community forming. It starts with us. It starts with us. I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to join and lead us in one more song. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, you spoke and there was life. Lord, we want all our words, all our communication to be life-giving. But we recognize that it's not always. And we ask forgiveness. We not only speak words that cause harm and bring death to relationships and to potential, but we receive words that kill our soul and harm our soul. Lord, we repent of those ways which we've acquiesced or contributed to that. And we ask that your words of life would fill us and that we would communicate them to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.